Hello and welcome to another episode of Emerging Excellence. I'm your co-host, Felicity Fury. I'm joined today by the amazing Brett Bassett, CEO of QLeaf, and we have a very special guest joining us. This conversation made me and Brett really stop and think. Robert Kerr has been an incredible leader in the engineering world and in humanitarian engineering. And today we did a deep dive on purpose, compassionate leadership, how to be more mindful and learning to listen as a leader. Dr. Robert Kerr has had an incredible career. Starting out as a structural engineer, he has been the chair and CEO of international engineering design company, Arab, where he spent over 28 years of his career. He's currently a professor at UNSW in humanitarian engineering and the international chair of Red Art Australia. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome one of my favorite and incredible mentors to the podcast today. Welcome, Dr. Robert Kerr. Robert, thanks for taking some time to have a chat. My pleasure. Glad to be with you. There's so much we could ask you because your career, I think, has been nothing short of phenomenal and it keeps going and going and going. Where I wanted to start today with was that you described yourself as a reluctant leader. I feel like from all your experience, you're an exceptional leader. Why do you say that and what was your journey into leadership like? Uh, look, I, I think being a reluctant leader is a good thing. In fact, I was, I was reading an article today about uh, politics and uh, and someone was giving about 10 points about what, what should be the skills of a politician. And I, I've always thought that anybody who wants to be a politician shouldn't be allowed to be a politician. Uh, I think reluctance is, a, is, is, a, is an underestimated skill. Um, look, I, I started... I think part of it, part of this issue comes back to my background. I mean, I was the youngest of, of five children. I was the first to finish high school, um, and and go on to those those sorts of activities. I I had no vision beyond being a maths teacher, and and uh, so I. But then I was advised by somebody to to do engineering because you always come back to maths. And so I did engineering, and uh, driven by a powerful fear of failure. Um, I was absolutely terrified that I was going to fail at any moment. You know, my imposter syndrome works exceedingly well. And um, so I eventually uh, won the university medal and um, then got enrolled in a... um, And and so my teaching thing came into, well, I've got to be an academic and become a teacher. But along the way, I was sufficiently smart to... To think, I better go and find out what this engineering thing is about. So I, I uh, with my wife and I, we we left uh, and went to Europe, and uh, eventually, after six months wandering around in a Volkswagen, uh, I, I found I was lucky enough to get a job with with Arab, um, as Arab and partners in those days. Now I I never aspired. I mean, I to be to be a leader, I always thought that I would do some sort of role, you know, at being directed by others. Um, but along the way, I think what happened to me was I had a number of people, I call them patrons, and patronage, um, they weren't mentors, although there was probably a bit of that, uh, and, and they, were, they weren't they um, were coaches, although they probably did a bit of that too, but they, they'd put opportunities in my way, and very often I was um, not smart enough to know what I couldn't do, and so I took these things on, and gradually I grew into doing various roles. And then the sort of the, 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 the leadership roles sort of presented themselves and very often it was nobody else was doing it. So you ended up sort of doing it. 
and and you grow and you change and and you you get uh, you get wisdom and you work out that this thing can actually work. I, I I never really aspired to that ambition, that drive to actually be the leader. But I have recognised over time. It's now been fifty odd years, fifty one years, I think, since I since I graduated, uh, that I do have certain skills and I can actually apply them. And I, I reluctantly conceded that I probably are cap- I am capable of leading. Do you enjoy it, Robert? Yes, I do. Uh, strangely enough, I I, I do enjoy um, the leadership roles. I think the one I particularly enjoy. And it came out. I've I've affected two turnarounds, I'd say, in in my career. Actually, it's probably three or four. But let's let's the, the the two most recent ones where there's been a turnaround. And very often, I'll speak to a group of people. They could be a group of four, or it could be a group of two hundred. And whilst you might be actually presenting some views, it's the Q and A and it's the hypotheticals that really get me fired up. And um, uh, it's, just, it's the same when I, if I'm lecturing in the ethics of humanitarian engineering at UNSW, for example. Um, you know, you present a one-hour lecture, then you have you have a conversation with the with the um, with the students, and they're they're structured around hypotheticals, and that really fires me up, and I I, I really love it, and I love catching myself out at thinking I know what the person's asking and then realising that they haven't asked that and being able to step back and, and correct that sort of that situation. We, we've often spoken um, here about uh, on the podcast about the role of leaders in, you know, helping others find answers, et cetera, et cetera. And we did a, a podcast recently about a town hall, which was, you know, not dissimilar to what you're talking about. And I love the question and answer stuff. That's my... I don't want to say it's my jam, but that's when you know the high performance curve. I love being there, and 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 I spoke at the la- at one of the um, podcasts about the three the three answers I always give, and I'm very consistent in this. I'll tell somebody I know the answer, and this is it, and it's always the truth. I tell them I don't know the answer, but I'll find out, and I always make sure I do. And the third one is I know the answer, but I can't tell you. So I I I really that resonates with me when you're talking about you know the the the, the excitement you get out of that. The other, the other one I'll just share with you, Brett, uh, sorry, Felicity, is uh, I was actually talking between 200 people in an in office in, in Arab, and I thought I knew what the question was. I, I, I heard it, and I, my brain switched into, ah, okay, that's, that's the answer to that question. I started to prepare, and this is where you, you can be very foolish. I was, I'd stopped listening to the person, yeah. and I started to prepare the answer. You know that classic situation where someone answers a question, and you, you think they've they've got no idea what they're talking about because they've answered an entirely wrong question. But there was a sliver of my brain still hearing the person speaking, and I I realised that I had got it wrong. So I stopped uh, my preparation and I stopped until she stopped speaking. And then I said, "Excuse me a second, I was answering the wrong question. Let's just give me a moment here to gather my thoughts, step back." And I then answered the question she had asked rather than the question I thought she had asked. And um, the the power of that, of course, is that people see you as authentic. They see you willing to actually um, correct mistakes you make, and they they don't they they stop thinking that you're um, just making it up and telling a story that's not actually part of who you are. Yeah. Have you noticed that there's been common questions or common themes 
that you've been asked when you've been put in those situations? Is there sort of, you know, things that people want to know in those sort of town hall situations or when you are in that leadership position? Oh, look, yes. I, I think very often, and, and the particular one I was thinking of is a situation where I'd come in, and this is fairly unusual, and I have to come in from outside to a part of the organisation that you're not part of. And um, I knew there was one guy sitting up the front and he had his arms folded and uh, um, yeah, he, he was clearly a bit grumpy. And when I stopped, he said, well, I'm really disappointed. You know, I expected you to arrive here and, and tell me the five points of how we would correct this problem. And you've said nothing. I said, well, you know, I'm sorry about that, but I was actually wanted to listen and hear what the issues were from your perspective. And I said, and secondly, when there is a, a plan, a strategy, an approach, it'll be our approach, not my approach. And uh, there is a certain consistency about those sorts of things. People will... will I think it also is is linked to their thinking that you know the answers or that yeah. you're going to give them the answers when actually, as, as you said earlier, bro, you know, very often you don't know the answers um, and you have to work them out. And uh, that's that's part of it. Mm, that, that expectation around who a leader is and what they are accountable for is quite interesting, particularly if you haven't had that role, which most people wouldn't. And Brett, you mentioned something earlier before we jumped on around the loneliness of leadership. And has that been your experience, Robert, or it sounds like you've had a really good support network around you? Oh, look, there had been times. I mean, I, 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 the, the, those those support networks can be created. And um, I, I had um, I had the experience with um, several boards um, where they, um, I mean, they were dysfunctional. One was dysfunctional because they didn't like the incumbent leader. Another one was dysfunctional because um, I always say they, the second one, put the fun into dysfunctionality um and uh they they they'd got into the habit of of um uh let me just get this right they they'd gone into the habit of passive aggressive behavior mm. where i know that's what we agreed but i didn't agree with it and i'm going to go and do the other thing over here so it's sort of really bad behavior and when you're in a situation like both of those the first situation i probably had a lot of support but it's sort of support, he's going to fix it, not support with part of the team. And the second one was I, I actually had to basically encourage my colleagues to stop behaving badly and start behaving reasonably. Now, both of those, in a way, I had to engender um, support that was meant that I, I wasn't alone. But there's always a part where you are alone, and, and that... that, that um, you know, sort of when I, I went through a very tough period in, in 1999 and people are very close to me, including my, my best friend who worked in the organization, had no idea what I was struggling with. And uh, I'd like to think that if they had some idea and, you know, all of this goes into the are you okay out of conversation and those sorts of things, which, which I think we've shifted a long way on, uh, but um you know, you, 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 people had no idea that I was struggling. No one, no one sort of turned around and said, are you okay? And, uh, so it can be quite lonely. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Brett. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, I, I think, you know, what I've been right, Robert, in saying that, well, let me go back. So in the nineties, I was in the police in Queensland, um, mm -hmm. was in the job for about eight years. 
And, you know, there would have been at that point in time, and I'm not being pejorative when I say this, there would have been no support really that I can recall for police of any level going to, um, you know, pretty traumatic situations, et cetera. Um, I then transitioned to where I am now. You know, I, I mean, um, I know that there's a lot of support for leaders and for staff generally. Do you think that society has caught up yet with the needs of mental health um, and and the support that is, is available either for leaders, for staff, for people generally? What's your thoughts about that, Robert? Look, I think things have improved. Um, are we are we are we doing enough? No. Um, I mean, and, and in a way, we've we've sadly got the, the the situation where, and look, it, it can work and kick in. You know, the, you you broadcast or you, you see people in a situation and you say, you know, look up these places where you can get help. Well, that's all very well, but you actually got to get to that. I, I think of my situation, and I was really struggling, and I wasn't sure, and I didn't have the trauma that you were dealing with, Brett. But I was, you know, and all these things are relative. You know, it doesn't actually matter. What trauma you're dealing with, you're dealing with it in your head. That's right. And it wasn't until I was I was sitting in my dentist's um, uh, office waiting to go in and have something done with my teeth, and not really knowing how I'd take the next step forward. And then there was a, and there was a card on the counter, and it was looking at that card that made the difference. Mm-hmm. So, coming back to the point I made earlier that you know you, you see these things, if if you if you need help with this, reach out to. Lifeline or whatever it is, all that's good, but you still got someone to actually make that step. Yeah, and and the trouble in a way, the trouble you get is that constantly you're being barraged with this stuff, and it becomes background noise, and you don't hear it. You still got to make the someone's. You got to find a way to either take the step yourself, or have someone ask you, um, "Are you okay?" and 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 then and then listen. <laughs> So I think we've still got a long way to go. Are, are we better? Yes. Um, you know, a recent thing that I was, I was you know, this, this I'm working at setting up with a with a colleague of mine, a group about mental health issues. Now, that particular colleague was doing that two years ago with an organisation, but his role, his um, his rotation moved on, and that organisation said, "Oh, well, we've done that now." Mm. Well, we haven't done that now. It's still still a lot of work to be done mm. to get those sorts of things in place, and uh, and it's a constant battle. I mean, I look at my own mental health, and I recognise that you know, in quotes, I haven't. I'm not cured. I have to manage what I'm doing, and I have to be aware when I go off the rails, and and I have to take steps to get back on the rails. And it's and and it's it can be tough for leaders, right? So if we think about just your your very um, relevant story, Robert, and thank you for sharing that. Um, that's tough dealing with your own mental health issues, right? But then if you think about being a leader of other people, yes. you have to, because it's the right thing to do, it's the moral thing to do, it's the ethical do, thing to do, help support people who might be going through their own mental health or psychosocial issues. But the underlying thing that is, is really important, I think as part of this conversation, is there's now a legislatively required obligation on organisations to make sure that they have adequate processes, procedures, steps, tools, et cetera, in place to support the psychosocial wellbeing of their staff. And and the reason I say that is 
it's it can be difficult. Not only can it be lonely, but it can be stressful because you, you sometimes, as a leader, you might be dealing with your own stuff. Sure. But you've also got to make sure that the organisation is dealing with everything else that's going on and an individual and a holistic basis as well. The challenge with that, Brett, is you know, you know and I, I look, I totally accept your point. There is a, a, a legislative requirement to deal with these sorts of issues, but but that's a that's a compliance approach. Yeah, and it's not it's not the approach about getting you into the habit of 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 thinking about these things more more broadly. Um, I, I I can I can refer to another guy. We were we were doing a management program, a, a colleague and I, and um, we spotted that this guy was behaving irrationally. He was he was working all hours. He was not looking after himself, and. Um, we took him aside to say, "Look, you know, we think you 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 need help and all the rest of it." He didn't want to listen, and in fact, he we we agreed, although he was worried that we were trying to sack him, mm. blunt, and or set him up to be sacked. And um, so he 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 agreed to take some time off, but he had also acted in a way that was consistent with him not taking that time off and to continue doing his work behind the scenes. And I, I went and, and had a conversation with him. And this is actually, this this particular story is captured on the AUOK and the rail safety uh, website because um, I went to talk to him and uh, I actually asked his permission to tell him what he needed to be told. Mm. He said to me, if, he, if you hadn't done that, I would have ignored him as as I would have ignored what you said, as I've done on on, on every other occasion, but because you asked my permission, I felt obligated to listen, and this guy actually sort of sorted himself out as a result of that. Mm-hmm. So, was that was that conversation around my asking his permission and then him telling me the sorts of thing? Now I wasn't solving his problem; I was basically just opening the eyes of possibilities that he could actually look for. The difference between compliance step. Tick and observation step, leadership behavioral step. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. That's great. My husband's usually the one who tells me I'm burnt out, and I usually say, No, I'm not. <laughs> so uh, I always need, to, when I know that I do that, or when I'm too tired to figure out if I'm tired, then I know I'm tired and I need to have a nap before I go do anything else and actually listen to the people around you. So it's, it makes such a difference that he's there. But you know, if you are on your own and you don't have that support at home as well or in your workplace, it can be really challenging. I feel like mental health is something that has become a topic that is talked a lot about in leadership. Robert, from your perspective, do you feel like there are other topics that we're not talking about for leaders today? Oh, look, I'm sure there's uh, any number of them. That's sort of a, well, that's an impossible question to answer in if we're not talking about them. Then we don't know what they are. <laughs> the unknown unknowns. <laughs> no, no, no. But, you know, Rumsfeld got that right, but uh, everyone laughed at him, but they... You know, the reality was that was correct. Um, I, I look. I, I think the, the, to my way of thinking, the, the biggest challenge in a way about some of this stuff is actually learning to listen and and bothering to listen and and as I say, listening for understanding rather than listening for response. And uh, so, if I was if I was to say there's one thing you might choose to do a bit better is actually spend some time listening and then and then having listened. Well, you've got to work out what you're going to do with it. And, you know, you, you, people can walk away. So, well, that was interesting. 
or they can do something about it. And that can be very challenging. You know, what are you, what are you going to do? Uh, and, and how do you help people? Um, I always look back and I wouldn't want anyone to go through what I went through. But I think the benefit of having gone through that uh, is that I understand a little bit about the need to be empathetic and 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 compassionate with with whatever people are going through. And the um, I mean, the interesting thing about compassionate, I I always thought that I was a compassionate person, and then I you know, somewhere along the line here, I realised that there was one person I wasn't being very compassionate with, apart from my wife, that is, and that is myself. And learning to become a little bit compassionate about what you're struggling with it can, you know, is, a, is, a, is, is again, again, something I, I don't think receives enough attention. Mm, that's such a tricky one because I, I totally agree. And the, the struggle I often have with that is setting goals and having high expectations of myself and then recently becoming a parent for the second time there's a lot of things going on in my personal life and then juggling that i find that quite challenging have you help me robert have you got any kind of workarounds or how do you navigate balancing those things of that expectation and wanting to achieve goals within that compassion uh ultimately i think this is where mindfulness practice can be very very helpful in in that um yeah you, you can set these goals and all the rest of it and i'm i'm not very good at setting goals um quite frankly um but but i do set goals and i set things that people have to achieve and da 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 da, da. um but um I think I think the thing about this is recognizing where you are at the day and and realizing if you if you've fallen well short of 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 the goal that you set well you've fallen well short of the goal that you set and that's it you know you're in that moment now you can spend a bit of time then trying to work out what you do to change that but you can't rewind the clock and revisit what you've got to so just just being mindful you know and again bit of practice I mean I've 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 used a lot of these sort of techniques so you know I um, uh, medita- meditation, mindfulness, and all that sort of thing, to try and give, to try and in, enhance the tools of actually letting go the the, and and this comes back to being compassionate with yourself. Yeah, you know, yes, you've fallen short of doing whatever you set your goal to be. Okay, well, and but you know, give yourself a break. Um, you've fallen short. So what are you going to do now? Now, mm-hmm. that's not about beating yourself up or, or trying to do it, working faster, harder. Spending another hour, you know, when you should have been asleep, all those sorts of things. It's about saying, ah, didn't get there. All right, well, didn't get there. Now there's other things I need to do. Not to actually achieve the goal, but to make to look after yourself. I mean, the the tactic one I always use is there's a there's a reason there's a reason why you put your um you put your own mask on before you put the mask on of others. You know, look after yourself. You've got to actually look after yourself. And very often we don't do that. Mm. Absolutely. Brett, I know you're big on this and I've been hogging lots of the questions. So I'm going to give you space to jump in. No, no, look, uh, um, Robert, the, the most important question I've ever been asked was on the 15th of December 2015 when I um, got told that I, I won um, the job for, for my p- previous role. The then chair of the board rang me and told me, and he said to me, who's the most important person in your life? And I, of course, said my wife and my son and my family. He said, mate, no, with respect, the most important person in your life is you. Because if you're not, if you're not looking after yourself, if you're not being as good as you can be for yourself and to yourself, you will be absolutely no good to anyone else. 
and and it is a mantra that I stick true to every single day. I mean, you know, I, I don't do a lot of planning throughout what I need to do throughout the day, but the one thing I do every single day is I make sure that the first thing I do in the day is for me. I get up, I run, I do exercise, whatever it is, because that way I know that I've at least put myself first at least once. And I think that that's a really important um, a process to go through every single day, right? And there's a there's a book, um, I can't remember what it's called now, um, which is not dissimilar about that. It, it's called it's called One Moment, Please, um, and it talks about presence. Mm-hmm. And it talks about, you know, just every single thing you do, just focus on it and it will be as good as it can be rather than having to go and do a thousand million things at once, right? And so, Felicity, as you know, this is a big thing for me. It's It, it mm-hmm. keeps me true to where I need to be. It's surprising because we've interviewed a lot of people on this podcast and it comes up, I think, pretty much every interview that we have is self-care and leading yourself first. And I just find that I've been quite surprised by it, actually, because I think there's definitely that. It's like I feel like it's almost like an iceberg with leadership. There's a little bit on top, the 10% that you see, but actually there's all this uh, and self-care. And we've got Dr. Care Bear with us, of course, uh, today. Uh, we've got all this self-care that sits underneath. And I just I feel like it's not it's not the shiny, sexy thing about leadership, but it's, it's the real work that needs to be done. Would you agree, Robert? I think the problem people are, I do agree, the, pro, the problem people are dealing with is they they think that's, um, you know, dressing, dressing from a selfish point of view, but it's not, it's that from a self-interest point of view. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I think even the Dalai Lama said that you're foolish if you fail to recognise that everything is actually about self-interest. And if you're not, now it's not about being selfish, it's not about being indulgent, that's actually about being self-interested and and everything you do is self-interested it might be i do this for my kids but that's actually self-interest in terms of what you're trying to achieve as a, as a human being and all those sort of things so that whole question of self-interest is really important i, I think what a lot of people are doing is saying oh look I, I i haven't got time to go for my run i haven't got time to do this i haven't got time to do that because they're going to do these other things but if you do fail sh- fall short on on looking after yourself, whatever that is, whatever that whatever that technique is, then you're not setting yourself up up for success, and mm-hmm. I think that's the problem. So I think that that added that mindset of oh, I'm going for my run or whatever it is you know you're doing, that's selfish. It's it's no. It, it, look, it could be selfish. Could there are people who do selfish things, right? But if you if it's around looking after self care. Um, making sure you're doing the right sort of thing, so you're actually set up to work purposefully. Um, then, then it's not it's not softish. Mm, that's the other thing that comes up with me. Sorry, go ahead. The other, well, the other thing that I was going to say in terms of the sort of things that I, I think are important is is sorting out one's purpose and uh, wh- whatever that is. And so I've got a I've got a very clear sense of what my purpose is these days, and I'm happy to tell you that in a moment. But I, I got to that through um, sort of dealing with my sort of depression and 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 uh, working through with psychologists on these sorts of on these sorts of issues. And then I sort of came to the vision: Well, what, what do I want out of life? And I thought, right, I, I want to be happy. Well, yeah, there's nothing wrong with being happy, um, but in a way, after a little while, I found that less than satisfying. And it was sort of like a sugar fix, you know, a chocolate fix. You know, you'd, you'd have a, you'd stuff yourself with happiness, 
uh, which might be might be indulgent or it might just be uh, you know whatever pleasurable. But it, it whatever. And then I read Viktor Frankl's book Man's Search for Meaning, and that really resonated. And that whole thing about that happiness ensues from having a sense of purpose. And that that um, that that changed things significantly for me, and uh, and and then assisted by one of my uh, one of my coaches, uh, a woman called Julie Bertels. I don't know if you've ever come across her. Um, I evolved a, a sense of purpose, which is that um, my purpose is um, to be the to work with the people who'll be the catalyst for change that the world needs. Mm, amazing. So, but so having this conversation with you, the reason why I said yes was I see that you are one of those people that would be the catalyst for the change the world needs. So I tick it ticks the box, apart from the fact that I know you, which is also a bonus. But I, when I look at the things I do, Red R, Chair of Red R Australia, Chair of Red R International, working at the University of New South Wales, getting totally committed to humanitarian engineering uh, and the like, that surround fits in with my sense of purpose to be the catalyst. Mm -hmm. Uh, work with the people who'll be the catalyst for change that the world needs. Um, now that could change one day, but it's not a bad way to hang your your hat on whether you do or don't do something. I love that. It's so powerful. And thank you for saying yes. And I, I do like asking people that question often when I meet them, saying, "Why did you say yes to this meeting?" But often I do meet with quite senior people, and I feel very grateful that they they give their time. And and I'm really clear on that purpose for me as well. So mine is people get to be and do things they never thought they could be or do. And that even goes for myself. And if I look at things like going swimming and doing a triathlon, that's something I never thought I, I could do because it just triathlon, I have to be athletic. I don't relate to myself as an athletic person. And then I went and did it. And that just, you know, that getting out of that swim leg, running across the beach to get on the bike was just such a moment for me to go, oh my gosh, I've done that. And it, it's, you know, writing the maths textbook for year nine students or it's setting up the not-for-profit. It kind of, all these things make sense. And then what we're doing with We Aspire is, you know, that next generation of leaders. So I can totally relate to something that, that really drives me and agree. It's It's been so powerful to for me to unlock. I feel like it makes my life make sense in a way. Yeah. Brad, whoops, I've never asked you this. Whoops, I don't have fun. I'm, so, I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here quite... Uh, perplexed because um, so when when it comes to my my work life my work life I, I, I my purpose at any organisation I go to and that is a purpose is to leave the organisation in a better place once I leave that's it simple it's a very simple purpose for me right in, in my in my personal life it, it's funny I'm probably the happiest I've ever been in my life right now I feel I feel fulfilled in a whole range of different reasons right. Um, but I think part of the reason for that is, um, I don't plan or anything really, but I started just saying yes to stuff in my personal life. Now, I don't know if my purpose is just to say yes in my personal life. I'm going to need to think about this, but I'm certainly happier in my personal life than I've ever been. And I think that translates into my work life, mm -hmm. but there's no doubt about that. But I, I don't know what my purpose is and I need to work on that. I think I think I think you I think you do, Brett. But look, you you you, you probably have it there. Uh, you just haven't articulated it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Haven't worked. Haven't worked it through. I mean, the, the question I'd ask you is: What are the things you've said no to? Have there been any? I don't think so. 
okay, then it, it may be around you positioning yourself, your whole body, the way you actually act about that, which gets you to to be intersected with those things are that are, that should be lined up with what you're doing. So you probably have it all built in, but it would be good to have a conversation with yourself uh, or with or with a trusted other to actually work out what your purpose is. You just to get it clear, and it should it should involve your whole life. I mean, I I I refuse to refer to work life balance. I I choose to refer to life balance because work is part of life. Yeah, and that things come together. So, so I think I think if you spend some time working at your um at what your purpose is, you get it clear. I think you probably have it clear. You just haven't articulated it yet. Well, I'm going to have to do some work on this. Good, I really am, Brad. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Normally, I have work for listening. Normally, it's you. That's awesome. And if there are people listening, Robert, how how would you advise or suggest going around finding that purpose? For me, it was I was I never forget. I was at a run on in Piermont in Sydney. I was on the timber decks. I was listening to um, Simon Sinek's book uh, "Start with Why," and that really helped me yeah. discover that purpose. But have you got any advice yourself or any tips? And it was a, it took a long time. I mulled it over for months and months and months. It didn't just come instantly. Um, but yeah, have you got any advice? Well, I think Simon Sinek's book "Why" is, is, is a very good, very good starting point. I mean, I, 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 I use I use a lot of his work um, uh, very much, and uh, there's one there's one particularly the golden the golden circle is one of his things that I I, I use exclusively. So, um, starting there, but then finding someone that you can have a conversation with to to challenge yourself and push yourself through what it's about understanding I mean, that question of why do you do stuff why, why are you doing it which is really about purpose yeah that's what it's about and um and of course re- reading victor frankl's book on, on man's search for purpose man's search for um sorry the meaning the meaning yeah and uh, and which is a very it's a very small book very powerful book and it, it impacted on me because up to that time, I was really struggling and I wasn't getting the right answers. I was getting the answers of it. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, you know, you want to be happy. All right, that's fine. But it's not enough. Mm. And I think sometimes too, when, when I'm working on it, it's a challenge for me and I love a challenge. And a challenge can be hard and it can be frustrating. And there can be other feelings, not just happy. Like um, my latest one that I'm learning to is learning to surf. I went on my birthday for a surf lesson and it was great. We had our kids on the beach and their uncle was looking after them. <laughs> Afterwards, my son said, mommy, you fall up and down. You keep falling down. And even just having showing him it was a really proud moment for me showing that i make mistakes i continually fell off the surfboard i'm not good at all by any means but that's just something that i you know there was frustration there was challenge but i loved after you know it was probably my third or fourth lesson can pretty much stand up now and go for a little bit um that sense of satisfaction is is there but it's not you know, not expect you think you know your purpose is happy all the time but i don't i don't think it is yeah, no, so happiness is an end, an end product. It's not a, it's, it's, it's like, it's like you're saying, well, what do you want to do as a business? You want to make a profit. That's, that's an outcome. That's not, it's not really a purpose. And, uh, but I'd come back to it. I mean, I, I, look, it got to me when I read, and I can't recall who suggested it. It might have been Julie, uh, Man's Search for Purpose, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, rather. And I read that, and, and you, there's, a, there's so much powerful stuff in that. You read it and you say, Ah, okay. Then you're sort of driven to actually find out what that purpose is, and it doesn't matter whether you, you know, you ring up and have a conversation. But I'm coaching two people at the moment. A lot of the conversation is around finding their purpose, 
And so I'm assisting them with that. But that doesn't need to be me. It needs to be someone who will get what you're trying to achieve and mm. find, find what that purpose is. And 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 then and then play with it, you know. And you, you might you might you might use it for six months or a year, and find it's not enough, not adequate. Change it and 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 move forward. And from that comes that yeah that uh, that happiness or that sense of achievement. But it, it's sort of that way around. So I was driven by reading now uh, Victor Frankel's book. Amazing. Very powerful. Oh, so good. You've got me thinking now, Brett. I'm going to be following you up on this homework uh, <laughs> and uh, happy to have the conversation with you as a support buddy for your purpose search. Thank you. Thank you, Felicity. It's, I'm, I'm, yeah, that's, I'm speechless. And Robert, for me, that's, a, that's not often done. <laughs> but it's <laughs> funny, as you were both talking about that, the one thing that sort of kept coming into my mind is, so, Robert, you're a wisdom worker. I'm a wisdom worker. Felicity is not. The one thing that sort of kept coming to to, to mind there was, and when I say not a wisdom worker, Felicity is very wise, but doesn't have the same level of experience in years that you and I have. How was that, Felicity? Was that good? Yeah, um, good. That's good. The, the, the one thing that sort of kept coming to me as you were talking was the search for completeness or the search for keeping doing better as a leader is never ending, right? Because that's what you were just talking about there, right? It's being better at self, being better at everything. So, Robert, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, my, my thoughts on that are look at everything you've done and and, and I sort of describe it as the, as the third eye or, you know, the, the, keeping an eye on, you know, when I'm doing things, even even now, um, not necessarily even now, but now there's there's sort of part of me that is watching what I'm doing and critiquing it. Now that can be you got to be careful of that because that can be the, the the negative voices in your head saying uh, you're about to make a fool of yourself. Be careful, blah blah blah. But there's also over here saying um, you could have handled that better and you pick it up later. So that. That self improvement thing is um, is is to be conscious that you you always have the potential to do things better. You're always learning something. Listen to what people say, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, you know, you can listen to people saying, I, "I don't agree with that." This is the reason why I don't agree with it. Blah blah blah. Or you can look at it and say, "Ah, oh, okay, I hadn't got that before." Um, yeah, how do I use that? How do I fit that into what I'm doing? So I think it's I think the continuing learning process, and I do recall someone who unfortunately is no longer with us, but she liked she she liked working with me because she perceived me to be someone who was constantly trying to improve what I was doing. And sure, there's lots of room for improvement, um, but but uh, you know it's actually I think it's actually about. Um, observing everything that goes on. So, you know, for example, I I spent some time working in Japan for a Japanese trading company, part of Arab. It was a job we were doing, and and this whole thing about observing what goes on and using that as a vehicle for improving what you're doing was was very powerful. It got to the point after eighteen months working with this particular company, and we were sort of wrapping it up, and and my my direct counterpart said to me. Oh, Kesan, Kesan, you you think very much like a Japanese. Now, I thought that was great praise, but how did he come to that conclusion? He came to that conclusion because I was observing things that were going on and seeing how they fitted into how I needed to relate to that. 
circumstance. And I think for rightly or wrongly, that's partly because of my background sort of starting out um, not being conscious of these things. I've, I've always had to struggle with actually observing, observing and watching things go. So when it came to, you know, to be quite quite direct about it, you know, when it came to e eating a, a, at a significantly important place and, you know, which, which knife and fork do you use and all the rest of it? I, I overcome that disadvantage that I had in terms of how I was brought up by observing mm. and 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 seeing what I needed to do, and so I, I've just I've just I, I guess I've always done that. Mm. So it's a reflection piece. It's the proactive piece. It's the third. I love the, you know the the third eye piece as well. Well, it's sort of like somebody's watching over me, and uh, as I say, you do need to be careful because that can be the sort of background conversation thing that is critical and all the rest of it. So sometimes you have to say, "Go away, I'm not listening to you." It's not always, you know, wisdom. Wisdom comes in a, in a range of ways. There's, there's, there's good stuff and bad stuff, and you've got to be able to distinguish between the two. I do wonder if being an engineer can often help in those situations because I think, you know, when you're designing something, you can be your objective. You're looking at all the different value points. You're taking that step back. It's not your fault if the steel isn't strong enough for the design. You know, it's a very objective process piece. And, and sometimes I wonder if that helps in that observation. Have you found that, Robert? Well, I, I, yes, but it's also a big disadvantage. I mean, yes, it is, but it's also something you've got to be careful of because I think one of my habits of working out all the failure points is <laughs> I work out all the failure points yeah. about what I'm doing. And um, very often I'm overly critical, uh, too strongly critical of myself. Um, you know, say the, the, the imposter syndrome, I, I have that in spades. I mean, I'm now... I'll be very shortly 73 years old, and I still um, ha have the imposter syndrome uh, going at various stages in my life. <laughs> I wouldn't believe it. I'll be found out. I'll be found out soon. <laughs> <laughs> I don't what, know you I think it's a great point, and I think um, I, I certainly feel that imposter syndrome myself, and it's I think people often talk about that, the strengths and weaknesses, but I think it's often another way to, to look at that is, um, you know, you could have something that's a strength, but also a blind spot at the same time. So, you know, the analytical piece, I'm someone who's very analytical, can be super helpful, but then also can be to my detriment because I'm overanalyzing situations. So I think by reframing that, that's really helped me. And I'm saying you're not, you're nodding there, Robert. Absolutely. I think that's the time when you look uh, at, at what, am, what am I doing here? Is this, is this real or is this imaginary? I mean, you know, am I being too critical? What's, what's going on? I mean, that, that assessment of, of whether, you've, um, whether you're totally focused on the negative stuff yeah. and actually need to, need to turn it around is, is very important. That, that analysis is, is a very important component of this. Absolutely. Well, there's been so many key takeaways from this discussion. I'm super grateful that you've said yes to coming onto the podcast. I'm taking away bringing more compassion for myself, taking a step back, bringing that observer mindset, mindfulness, and learning to listen. Brett, what has been your key takeaway? I could probably guess it, but. I'm failing because I don't have purpose. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I, I'm going to read Frankel's book. That's what I'm going to do. But you know what you think? I will. I will do that, Robert. And I'm going to. Um, I'm going to consider. I'm, I, I, that's it for me. 
Amazing. Well, thanks for the aha moment for Brett. I love that. I don't think we've had this kind of moment on the podcast yet, so I hope we have many more. Thank you so much, Robert. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's, it's my pleasure, Felicity. I, I, interestingly, enough, I, I actually sat down now. I've written, I've written a book of my journey, and uh, I wrote it. I wrote. I, I wrote it. I've got an author who's helping me with this, and uh, I said to her. She said to me, why are you doing this? And I said, oh, look, there's people I coach. And they said, that's really good. You should write it down. And I said, secondly, for my my wife and, and children, because they might get some insights as to why I behaved the way I didn't know I shouldn't have done. And then thirdly, for myself. And uh, when she wrote the reverse brief, she wrote back. She said, um, you're writing this for yourself. Secondly, your children. And lastly, and if there's anybody else who might be interested, then well and good. But she was right because I was actually I was actually doing it for myself. And that's that. In a way, that's that analysis piece, that compassion piece, to understand what these various things meant for me. So it's been uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Amazing. I have to ask now, when's the book out? Because I can't wait to read. I remember you saying that last time we spoke. Is it is it going to be all? Is it going to be published if it's just for you, or is it for you know for everyone? The good news is, well, I I, I hope so. I mean, uh, but uh, I've now actually edited it twice, so we're getting close. Amazing. Well, I very much look forward to reading it and getting more of your incredible wisdom from it, Robert. Thanks so much. Pleasure.